is time to do the impossible. Hayden Winks, to identify this year's Cooper Cup, to tell the people to avoid this year's LaVisca Chenault, to find the rookie who breaks out after his bye week. If we get all of these right, all of these impossible tasks, all of you out there are going to win a whole bunch of money. How you feel? Well, I hope it's not impossible considering they pay us to do this. We have to be at least somewhat, right? <laughs> Tom Cruise would weep, would weep if these self-destructed. Okay, uh, we know that these are very difficult. Like if you hold us to every single one of these, how dare you? You don't grasp this show. You do not get it. But we're going to do our damnedest. We're going to lay out pitches. And maybe the best part of this, Hayden, is that I don't know the answers you're going to give for each of these topics. And you don't know the ones I'm going to give. We're going to be shocked, stunned. And it's going to be good. All right. If you're here for the first time, by the way, check out all of our freaking shows that we have on the channel, all the clips as well. Join us for all of August, all of September and beyond, because we think, again, you're going to be smarter by paying attention to it. Here we go. We start off with what some might call identifying this year's Cooper Cup. In the slide, it says who is 2022's Depot Samuel. By this, Hayden, we mean a wide receiver two somewhat where they're drafted as in like Cooper Cup was drafted as the wide receiver 16 Debo Samuel is the wide receiver 33 who have maybe top 10 top five heck even top overall wide receiver potential so I I might have cheated a little bit on this one I was defining this like who has like top three uh of ceiling outside sure. of like the top 10 I'm going Michael Pittman who's like just after that I was also considering Mike Williams uh but the reason why I went with Michael Pittman is I think that part of the explanation for Cooper Cup was the quarterback upgrade. And I'm looking at Carson Wentz, who was uh, 26 in completion percentage over expected. Uh, and Matt Ryan was 10th. And that was with Matt Ryan playing behind PFF's 31st overall offensive line. I know that Matt Ryan, even if he's not throwing the ball downfield with as much velocity, he still can throw very accurate in the way that Michael Pittman wins. He's not this like, Mike Evans downfield guy, like some people thought kind of thought he was just because he happens to be six foot four. He can win underneath slants, all that stuff is incredible. They can get him in this in the screen game a little bit. And if something ever happens to Jonathan Taylor, you can see how his target volume goes up. Uh, shout out to reception perception uh, with Matt Harmon. We got to get him on the show eventually. 96 percentile against press coverage last year, 88th percentile against zone, 79th percentile versus man in his second season we get the matt ryan boost and we don't oh, yeah. know how good this team could be with a quarterback upgrade so i'm all the way in two things one i don't think we can even like by the letter of the law by the nature of how we want to conduct this show say like mike evans as wide receiver seven can be wide receiver one we have to go deeper again cooper cup when his wide receiver 16 last year Debo samuel is wide receiver 33 love the michael Pittman call and i think a major facet of trying to predict this is our inability to grasp just how big a quarterback upgrade or a play caller upgrade for any of these pieces can be. That's exactly what happened when the Rams went from Matthew Stafford to, or excuse me, to Matthew Stafford from Jared Goff. Um, love the Michael Pittman call for all the reasons you said. And I'm going to throw out one in Juju Smith-Schuster. He's in the thumbnail. Oh, it's going to sound absolutely crazy, but I wanted to go deep, man. We just talked about, again, Debo being the wide receiver 33. Juju's being drafted as the wide receiver 27. The Chiefs wanted him for two straight off seasons. What was the percentage, before I keep going, that you think he played in the slot? I'm talking about Tyreek Hill last season for the Chiefs. Was I bet it was like just over 50%. Yep, 54%. I mean, so Juju, during his time with 
the Pittsburgh Steelers, we know, played a lot of slot snaps, but also about half his snaps on the outside. And let's not forget that from 2017 to 2019, Juju Smith-Schuster's dot was 9.7 yards. Then Bill, ben, Ben's arm fell off and it dropped down to six and a half yards. I mean, he scored 10 touchdowns back in 2020. I don't know, again, if he can score 70 more points than the next closest wide receiver this year in fantasy football. But I do think that being attached to Patrick Mahomes is going to potentially unlock a ceiling that we haven't seen again since the 2019-2018 season for Juju. And at the wide receiver 27 price, if we get 17 games out of him, I feel really good about it. Yeah, I'm going to save some of my Juju takes for another category we're going to go to, but uh, particularly for Cooper Cup, it is that slot receiver in a very attractive offense. All it just takes a couple injuries to break around him, and all of a sudden he has all of the volume in the world. Going back to his contract, because we always talk about the contract, I do want to note it was not that much money, but there are some incentives, and the reason why there's incentives for him in particular is because he missed so much of last season and how the NFL contract structures work out. Uh, your incentives have to be like unlikely to be earned, which is simply defined as did you hit them last year, which I don't understand how we're still doing this. But since he missed most of the season, they're like, just reach 40 catches this year. And are you going to get you're going to get these incentives, which is how the Chiefs were able to, to get around that contract. So I, I'm very confident Juju will be the slot receiver. I think he's physical enough uh, to win in uh, two wide receiver sets as well. The Chiefs don't really use them that often, but I think it is a key. And I think the two locked in pieces are Travis Kelsey as that X receiver juice Miss Schuster in the slot or a little bit out wide. And they chased him again last off season too. You know, this has been an ongoing piece for the chiefs and, and their vision of, of who they want to be. Um, and in that 2018, which was an incredible year, he spent again, about 60% of his snaps in the slot had 660 yards after the catch. Still what just 26 years old in comparison to some of these other players who are, are changing teams. I just, Producing at that young of an age and, again, being injured all of last season and now you go from a washed-up bend to a high-flying offense. And if these teams are going to play two high shells, guess who's going to thrive underneath and not just at six and a half yards but at nine and a half yards, and that's Juju. Okay, that's that topic. Go ahead. Can we just go into the post-hype wide receiver category, the Mike Williams category, just so I can finish up my Juju Smith-Schuster notes because I'm totally with you. Juju, it was just the injuries. And if you look back, he's had two seasons where he ran at least 600 routes. And keep in mind, the Chiefs were third in wide receiver routes run last year because, you know, they have Patrick Mahomes. In those two seasons, he caught 97 passes and 111 passes. And those were as the sidekick to somebody like Travis Kelsey. I think there's enough volume. He fits that role. Like you said, he's going to be the cover two beater uh, uh, for for this offense. And they're going to have to get that. So, um, I'm right there with you. I went back and watched Juju Smith Schuster. Shout out to me for uh, getting through the Big Ben stuff. The, Dude, it's brutal. The, I mean, it was early on the season. I went through like weeks one through four to watch all those games. Man, Big Ben was terrible. Uh, so I think that Juju Smith Schuster, they're getting him in motion. They were throwing the ball behind the uh, the line of scrimmage. He was sitting in zone. I didn't see like this super slow Juju Smith Schuster. I just think that he was playing in an offense that looked horrendous. And when he did come back, he wasn't himself because he missed so much of the season. I think that he's healthy now. Uh, as long as he doesn't doesn't get uh, stuck on the TikTok stuff, uh, I think we're ready to go for Juju Smith and a little bit of a bounce back season. Okay. So your answer for the post-hype wide receiver this year, which was Mike Williams last year, is Juju Smith-Schuster. I'll throw in my answer for this. Brandon Ayuk at wide receiver 43. I think 
the opening seven weeks of last season is totally clouding people's brains. Because if you look at just the final 10 games, Brandon Ayuk averaged 69 yards and half a touchdown per contest. I mean, during that span, the final 10 games, he was the wide receiver 20 in fantasy points per game. That's the same as Mike Evans. That's the same as Tyreek Hill. And look, if we're talking about 10 plus yards and outside the numbers, Debo Samuel, who was terrific, had nine total targets in those areas of the field. Brandon Ayuk had 22. 50% of his total targets were 10 plus yards down the field. So why am I talking about those areas that Jimmy Garoppolo didn't target as much? Well, a key reason to switching to Trey Lance investing in a kind of a passer who's willing to throw down the field more often, especially outside the numbers, is because those blind areas in the last few seasons are now wide open. We've seen it on some of those inside to outside breaking routes that Jimmy sales and Mrs. Brandon Ayuk, that even in his two short game span as a starter, Trey Lance was was hitting those. So I understand that even last year, Brandon Ayuk was being drafted over Debo Samuel. Now you're getting him again at a massive discount at wide receiver 43, where he's already working out with Trey Lance this summer too. I love for the talent, the year three little dip that we're getting because I think we might see a big, big season for Ayuk in 2022. What do you think he's going to be ranked as if the rest of the offense is healthy? Like, that's the thing where I'm just concerned about the entire passing volume here. And then, like, what, where would you rank Ayuk if something did happen to Debo Samuel later on? Like, that's the thing where I'm like looking at the other wide receivers where, like, yes, I see the upside. Like you said, like he wins downfield. That's where Trey Lance is going to throw the ball. A very athletic player. We can see him just be a more uh, well rounded wide receiver. But when I'm like looking at him, like in most scenarios here, I think that some of the other receivers right next to him have like a better chance of being like a wider every week, wide receiver three, but I can't discount the ceiling. And that's kind of the whole point of this category. Anyways, I almost threw in Christian Kirk in the spot. Who's going as the wide receiver 41. And then you have Kadarius, Tony MVS, Chris Olave, Michael Thomas is all in that same jumbled spot. My question to you, if we're talking about downfield playmaking, a big part that pre-snap recognition is seeing when those sideline spaces are open seeing it when it is single high do you think teams are going to be confident in playing two high shells against a running game like the 49ers put out there no. no so i think if you're looking at who the downfield player is the intermediate to downfield um big play shots i think it's much more brain Ayuk, even though obviously debo was fantastic and highly efficient in those last year again 22 targets on the outside 10 plus yards down the field Ayuk had last year. I think we all remember where we drafted him, the disappointment where he ended up in the doghouse for the first seven weeks. But even just the final 10 weeks were fantastic. He had the same points per game as Mike Evans and Tyreek Hill, and we're not having to pay for that at all. In fact, we're playing 23 spots later, despite the great end of the season we had. Yeah, I'm, I'm going out of my way to draft Trey Lance, and I, I don't really love the Debo in the second round stuff, and I'm not a huge fan of the early round tight ends. So I am going... Brandon Ayuk on my Trey Lance team. The other names I had here, uh, Cortland Sutton, Chase Claypool, and Amari Cooper, just kind of post-type guys, can win downfield enough. Uh, kind of a chaos around them at the quarterback spots, um, but you can kind of see how there's some upside there. If when we pitch these opening prompts for each of these categories, you all have answers, one, leave them in the live chat if you're checking them out with us, but also put them in the comments below. I would love to see them and comment on them afterwards in the next few weeks. Okay, So we've done the next Cooper Cup slash Debo. We've done the post-hype 
player. Now let's do the washed up running back who is going to have a big, big 2022. A la James Conner, your boy that we nailed last year. Leonard Fournette that Robert Mays gave us credit for for hitting, which questionable. Um, So Hayden, we've kind of talked about this with our running back sleeper show. Hopefully you all tuned in for that. I don't think we have to keep the same parameters of like star the 10th round 120 plus, but who's your name in this category? To me, this is completely Melvin Gordon. I think this will take an injury to Javante Williams here. Uh, like James Conner, he kind of really broke out when Chase Edmonds missed some time. But I think that we're overriding just how good Melvin Gordon was last year. And he does fit that every down role if something does happen similar to James Conner, Leonard Fournette. That's what happens when you are drafting 225-pound running backs. Uh, last year, he was um, the RB24 per game. He's being drafted as the RB37. If you actually take 20% of his fantasy points from last year, that gets him exactly to the RB37. So you, the price that you're paying is basically, I wouldn't say it's the floor, but I am expecting this to be somewhat of a committee. And if you just look at what happens if Javante misses time, they were RB11 as a team in fantasy usage, just Melvin Gordon by himself, RB 13 in elusiveness, RB 20 in yards after contact per carry, RB eight in PFS run grade, RB 13 in success rate on zone runs, which is this offense of structure. And he was also 15th in yards per carry. So I don't think that Melvin Gordon is washed up. He's not the most explosive back. Yes. He fumbles it. He's not the perfect runner, but when you need those three yards, he's pretty likely to be giving you, giving you those three yards. As we've outlined, we both really like both Javante and Melvin Gordon at their current ADBs because at worst you're taking a slight loss for a potential huge gain. With that said, I think this is a massive cop-out for you because a major part of your pitch that you just made is an injury to Javante Williams. You know, that's not necessarily what Leonard Fournette needed last year, not necessarily what James Conner needed last year. I want someone who has a starting gig, and that's why I'm looking up the board a little bit but Cam Akers is running back 19 is 100% the man for this category. I mean, from July 14th, the great Jordan Rodrigue, Cam Akers returned to the field five and a half months after his Achilles tear and then averaged 2.6 yards per carry. I think that everyone is so focused on that playoff performance just from a statistical standpoint, just from a production standpoint. You know this, Hayden. What people should be looking at was the opportunity, Les Snead, Sean McVay, the entire team gave him as soon as he came back onto the field. Four playoff games, 18 touches, 27 touches, 14 touches, 16 touches, and then another 19 touches. All of those were most on the team for that Super Bowl run. That is wild to think about. I understand he was inefficient on those, but now this is also a team that is fearful for Daryl Henderson as soon as they give him an extended run because he ends up on the sideline. Jordan's even said that they want Kyron Williams to supplant Daryl Henderson on the depth chart. We aren't paying at all a high price. It's not rich at all to get the Los Angeles Rams starting running back as running back 19 when he just averaged basically 18 or 19 touches in the last five games that he played. Unbelievable to me the more I look at this. Cop out. I picked at least a 10th round running back. You went into the round four for your answer. I'll meet you in the middle with my axe like another a great answer to hear uh ch as leonard fournette uh the common uh denominator here is ronald jones who's making no money Derek mckinnon's making no money at least ch is on a good offense uh has the ability to be a three down workhorse in some universe i'm not predicting that but i think that there is some upside for leonard fournette type of season and then for for james connor in particular 
Damien Harris, who like we are like really hyping up Ramondre, and trust me, I, I totally get it. I heard you on The Athletic. Totally agree Ramondre is very explosive. But Damien does like the James Conner stuff where he's just going to be a very effective rusher in short yardage. This team, I think, is going to be better than expected. I think the Cardinals' offense was better than expected. I think the Patriots will be. And then Damien Harris could just mess around and score 15 rushing touchdowns this year too. I mean, chat's getting mad at me when I said washed up. People think K-Makers is washed up. People think that this Achilles injury, no one's ever come back from it. We're, I mean, they have so much faith in him. I think we are discounting how much trust the Rams have in Cam Akers when we aren't having to pay a significant price for him at all. And it's just because of, again, the yards per carry, the 2.6 yards per carry, when in those final five games, he averaged 19 touches. Am I crazy to... to they want him to on? be the guy. They, they want, want him to be the guy. They, they are hoping he will be the guy. We will learn. I will learn because I'm going to walk right to Graham's training camp uh, every Wednesday and every Friday, and I'm going to have boots on the ground. I'll tell you how Cam Akers is looking versus Daryl Henderson. Yeah, we just have aren't having to uh, invest highly in that backfield at all when it might be a top five offense in the league. Okay, so we've been really positive so far. Oh, uh, let's turn negative. We talked about Debo Samuel, who is being drafted as the wide receiver 33. LaVisca Chenault was the wide receiver 31 last year. So, Hayden, who is 2022's LaVisca? As in, who is the shitty player all of you are in love with that everyone out there should be avoiding and being and prosper because of it? First of all, this was your category. I was trying to get positive on the show, and you had to bring this thing down. Um, I want to first off say, if you are roasting Alabama and you go in the first round, you have upside. I'm not discounting the ceiling potential here. And I think that LaVisca Chanel coming into the league was a very boom-bust prospect for the way that they're utilized. So my answer, sadly, for just this year in particular, is Traylon Burks. I was a Drake London guy and as a prospect. But the reason why I think that Traylon Burks has some uh, hills to kind of climb here is in college, he was used all over the field, which I would guess is more or less a positive. But 74% of his snaps were in the slot. Only 18% of his snaps were out wide. He had only 37 routes as the isolated receiver. That's not exactly AJ Brown stuff. Like, you know, like I think that we're talking like the, the common denominator between AJ Brown and Traylon Burks is they're both big and they both play the yeah. SEC. A.J. Brown is light years more athletic. I don't want to hear the stuff that Traylon Burks is just as athletic. Yeah, no. he had a couple splash plays, but according to my model, he had 41st percentile adjusted spark athleticism, and I think that I've seen this a couple times comparing Traylon Burks' conditioning slash asthma to the Jamar Chase drops, and I think they're yep. totally totally different. First of all, Jamar Chase was a better prospect, uh, and he's in the better offense. Traylon Burks doesn't have either one of those, but the other thing is, because Traylon Burks only played on the on the outside only 18% of the time, I think that his rookie offseason is really important because he has to get developed chemistry with Ryan Tannehill. He has to learn uh, all of the routes, all the stuff on the outside. He's not just getting these schemed up touches. So I think that the, his training camp er, is going to be extremely important. He's got to get in better shape. And some of that better shape stuff is not just this offseason. His Arkansas coach said that he was struggling with conditioning, not asthma, but strictly conditioning for multiple seasons at Arkansas. Dane Brugler said that he was playing at 240. This is not new stuff with the Traylon Burks. So I think that his if he's not out there for training camp and in, in good shape, I'm going to be very concerned about this year. I think there's still a chance he has a ceiling play in the, the back half of the season, but he's got to get on the field just because he's transitioning kind of more or less to be uh, a, playing a different type of wide receiver. And if you're not playing on the outside in the NFL, your fantasy ceiling is pretty capped. We had different notes, but the same answer on the test because my answer for this category is also Traylon Burks, who's dropped 25 spots 
in the last two months since Best Ball Mania 3 opened. Um, but he's still being drafted as the wide receiver 46. And a lot of it, and I want to dive into some of what you said. Like, again, this is not a Jamar Chase situation from last year. Chase was an incredible prospect who thrived on the outside at LSU, who had a drop problem in training camp. A drop problem. Like, this is legit conditioning for a flawed prospect. Jalen Burks is, you know. Last season, he faced just 39 snaps versus press coverage. 39 snaps. And sure, maybe the, the point here is... When we look at A.J. Brown in previous years with the Titans, so much of his production came from crossing routes over the middle of the field, directly in front of Ryan Tannehill, catching and running. And maybe some of that can be manufactured in the slot. But I can't get it out of my head that I think this ADP, especially two months ago, was partially impacted by the Dynasty community absolutely loving Traylon Burks and maybe losing losing focus, losing the details, the context of exactly how Traylon Burks' production was had at Arkansas. I don't want to crush the guy because I think he is talented. He has areas where he wins, but he's an above average to average athlete like you outlined. And I just don't see how he is impacting immediately when, as you said, there are flaws he has to correct beforehand. And as of now, he's being drafted a few spots ahead of running mate Robert Woods. And I understand we love rookies, especially as the season progresses. But man, I just feel so much more comfortable smashing that Robert Woods button right now. Yeah, I, I also hear it though in Best Ball Mania three. Like it, it's such a weird game because you're like you're literally only caring about these super ceiling outcomes. And Traylon Burks still has that. And there's also game sure. theory reasons why. Like, hey, if he's being drafted in the ninth round right now, and other people were drafting him in the sixth round, I don't actually even hate Traylon Burks right now in ADP just in that format and in general. But if you were telling me like to do a median projection for Traylon Burks right now, I would definitely be under the markets uh, on that. He's one of the most interesting storylines for fantasy purposes because somebody's got to catch passes on this Titans team. I mean, we, we're we concerned that, that Derek Henry's not going to be able to stay healthy. The offensive line's not going to be good. That means they're going to have to pass the ball to somebody. So I don't know who the hell that person is. Maybe it's Austin Hooper late, but we have to find out if Traylon Burks is going to be that guy or not. Well, at least we know that Mike Vrabel is very patient for wide receivers who miss practice. You know, he's he's shown that in his past. Just to put some context to where Traylon, sarcasm, Traylon Burks is going in drafts, one spot ahead of Tyler Lockett, two spots ahead of Robert Woods, three spots ahead of Chase Claypool, four spots ahead of Tyler Boyd. Rich. That's rich. Even if he's dropped two rounds in the past few months. Okay. We're four down. Still got four to go. Next up, let's do the year one star, you know? We had some negativity there. Let's flip it. I don't think we can find the next Jamar Chase who breaks your models, grinds your gears, makes you cry when in the spreadsheets. Um, But someone has to do it this year. So who is the rookie at any position that you think we all need to prioritize? It's not Jamar Chase, but I think Drake London could be 2021 Jalen Waddle, of course. Um, A couple of similarities here. It's just... No wide receiver target competition, really. Uh, I think that the way that Drake London wins, he's going to be a PPR machine. Jalen Waddle caught 104 passes, and I think that Marcus Mariota is at least good enough to throw the ball to somebody has, who has a catch radius as big as Drake London. The difference between Drake London and Traylon Burks to me coming into this is, yes, Drake London got some manufactured touches. He had 3.75 screens per game. I like that. The difference between Drake London and Traylon Burks is Drake London was crushing on the outside down the field 
as well. Traylon Burks did in a small sample, but Drake London averaged 135 yards per game. That's 98th percentile uh, PPR per game production. Uh, and he's young player, 95th percentile. And I just think that the way he wins when the Falcons are trailing, I can see Drake London just going crazy in second half of games because he's just so effective on these like intermediate routes, the shallow routes, kind of like Michael Pittman, kind of like Michael Thomas, perhaps at a ceiling. And I can see him just getting peppered with targets. So I don't think that he'll be as explosive as Jamar Chase, clearly. But I think that you can kind of have a, a Jalen Waddle season where it's just like so much volumes coming his way. Yeah, and Jamar Chase, and I think one other rookie wide receiver winning around the wide receiver 20s territory last year. Drake London's being drafted as the wide receiver 37. He's my answer for this. He has to be. I mean, I think he's among the top five highest drafted wide receivers for me in these employee drafts that we're doing on, on Underdog Fantasy. I also think that there's a little misconception or a misunderstanding of who Drake London is. Uh, some people think he can't run routes. I would say you should probably watch him. Uh, <laughs> Who are these people? Show yourself. Get in the comments and tell me that you're the person that said he can't run routes. Ridiculous. Also, he plays in the slot a lot. That's great. You know, a lot of these passing games now are putting top pass catchers in the slot, manufacturing space for them, creating better matchups. And I can't wait to see how the tandem of Kyle Pitts and Drake London. Sometimes they can be bunched together. Sometimes Kyle Pitts can be the outside wide receiver and Drake London on the inside. They can also be isolated on one side together or flip-flop in those scenarios. Like, I understand it's a massive, massive drop-off from Matt Ryan to Marcus Mariota. But once Russell Gage got the starting job last year, he was the wide receiver 28 for the rest of the season. And he's been about 40% of his snaps in the slot last year. So... Drake London, I, I don't get too jet. I mean, I love a lot of these rookie wide receivers. Like, I really like Garrett Wilson. I, Jamison Williams, we're going to have to wait for. Chris Olave, man, the guy's a pro already. But if we're talking like true ceiling outcomes, which of these do I think can be a top 20 pass catcher immediately in his rookie year? I think Drake London's the only name I want to put a star next to. This was like the concern I kept seeing is the contested catch guy. And I don't think that Drake London necessarily is that contested catch guy. The guy created so much separation within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And there's a reason why USC was throwing him all those screens. He's very fluid. Like the guy can like bend his knees and he does like some of those uh, Michael Pittman things. So I don't think that he's like a JJ Arcega white side just because he doesn't run a four five doesn't mean that he's not creating separation. I think that uh, he's going to surprise some people and like how versatile of a player he really is. Yeah. Uh, any other names pop into you? If if I was going to pivot to any other position, it probably would have been running back, either Kenneth Walker or or Brees Hall. Brees Hall is fascinating because he keeps on climbing despite everyone, I think, realizing a little bit more and more how good Michael Carter was last season. Do you catch my drift? Yeah. Can I save it for uh, the post by rookie bump conversation? Sure. <laughs> sure, you can. Okay. Three more to go. Year one starter, post hype. So let's go to the post by rookie bump then, man. You just called it out. Let's do it. Is this Brees Hall? Is it Kenneth Walker? Who are you rolling with? This is Kenneth Walker, man. And I just want to put this in perspective where Brees Hall is going and Kenneth Walker. And look, everybody in the comments, everybody on YouTube, everybody on Twitter was thought that Brees Hall was so much better than Ken Walker. And then the NFL draft comes, they're picked five spots apart. And we're, we're, I, all I hear is Ken Walker's on this bad team. Why is the Jets and the Seahawks both have win totals at 5.5? 5 .5? 
They were drafted five picks apart, yet they're going six rounds uh, in different spots in ADP here. And Michael Carter, Rashad Penny, I think they're both reasonable players here. Um, yes, I know that Brees Hall has a better chance of catching some passes, but I think these offenses are built pretty similar. Neither of them are like super fantasy friendly. Like looking at the Jets, how much they rotate their backs. Zach Wilson, I'm not sure how much better he is than Geno Smith. Let's be honest here. So um, I think Kenneth Walker was exceptional. He led college football at 89 misforced tackles, uh, 4.5 yards after contact, which was the best in the class, 4.38 speed, 89th percentile adjusted spark athleticism. The only thing was just he didn't catch that many passes. But I know that Pete Carroll, I mean, I really know this dude. Pete Carroll loves to run the ball, and I think that Kenneth Walker is going to be able to do it. Uh, I just don't think that the it should be a six-round gap between Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. Yeah, it, it's a huge difference. Like we opened this conversation talking about Cam Akers. Brees Hall has now supplanted him as the running back 18. Meanwhile, Kenneth Walker is being drafted as the running back 34, right around the territory of Chase Edmonds, Devin Singletary, or Mondre Stevenson. Don't get me wrong. Love Brees Hall. I mean, if the guy sees a lane, he's creating a big play. And that's really why the Jets prioritized him in, in round two is because they know that 11, 12, 13 play drives are very, very difficult to go over and over and over again. Um, so they want someone that can reel off a 60-yard run. Also don't want to overlook, one, how good Rashad Penny was last year to finish the season, but also how freaking good Michael Carter is between the tackles. Like legit, top 10, top 15 runner between the tackles already. He's crazy good. Um, for that reason, I'm probably ending up with a bit more Kenneth Walker in drafts because, as you said, goes back to our pre-draft evaluations. And I didn't see a major gap as pure runners between the two, albeit different styles. But like you're saying, the ADPs are so drastically different that it feels like I'm getting a better value for it. Hot take, I did see a difference, and Kenneth Walker was a much better rusher. I can You can make the argument that Brees Hall is better on passing downs. I thought Kenneth Walker was running laps around Brees Hall uh, just between the tackles. Okay, one comment and then the real answer. Someone mentioned Jalen Tolbert in the chat. I think Jalen Tolbert, we talked about this with Jared. I think maybe the biggest discrepancy on his ADP and how much it shifts during training camp and any rookie might be Jalen Tolbert. Like if he goes out there in a preseason game or two, especially if it's the first one and makes a huge 60 yard catch, everyone's going to want to invest in that second wide receiver next to CeeDee Lamb. And the opportunity seems to be there. I just don't know much about Jalen Tolbert right now, you know, and we're going to find out some as we go along. And if the definition is post by rookie bump, I think that Jalen Tolbert might have a better first couple of games because Michael Gallup and then it actually get <laughs> worse, fair. which is like the rare to the rookie. I have a couple of quick names. Sky Moore, I'm not sure if he's going to start immediately, but I can see him really starting to pop off. Is that your name? No, my real answer is George Pickens. That was the next 76. Week nine by. This is the outside, a pure outside wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers on a team that drafts receivers really well. Um, they might pivot over to a rookie quarterback following that bye week or even earlier on in the season. And as the season goes along, there's a bunch of questions that are kind of unanswered with all the wide receivers that are surrounding George Pickens here at the moment. If we're talking about Deontay Johnson in a contract year and all the beat murmurs seem to mention that he's not going to be on the team following the season because they don't want to give him big money. And I mean, Chase Claypool's kind of decline production wise as the seasons go along. Don't want to be out on Chase Claypool, but that's, that's a fact. And um, George Pickens obviously missed a bunch of time during his final season. And if you're talking about alphas, he seems to have that deep down in his soul. And uh, maybe we see that Dog. emerge as we go along. 
George Pickens, total dog. Like, I, I love this call. He's going very late in drafts. Uh, Alec Pierce is another name I think that can really develop. Uh, we just talked about Michael Pittman, but I think that there is room for a second receiver in best ball, just the way it win- wins downfield. And I think uh, if you're looking at exactly like a Monroe St. Brown, David Bell is very similar in like where they were getting drafted, where they win. They might not be the most explosive player, but pretty versatile. Uh, definitely productive for uh, how young they were in college. I think you can draw some similarities there. Um, all it would take was like Amari Cooper gets injured, and all of a sudden they have to throw the ball to somebody. So I think those are some some names that maybe you're not banking on them early on in the season, but if you drafted Adam Thielen, then go draft George Pickens, and hopefully Adam Thielen carries you the first eight weeks, and here comes George Pickens on the back end. Three more. How about the random running back who is hugely impactful? I don't think it has to be, you know, a rookie. It was last year in Eli Mitchell in the sixth round, but I think even Cordero Patterson fit in this category for many of your leagues out there. So who is, and this is very nearly impossible to predict the one that no one is drafting that, you know, might shift the whole entire fantasy football landscape. Easy task here. So I have a couple names, so I didn't feel too comfortable. I just kind of want to spray bullets here. Uh, Chris Evans, we've already talked about this. Go, I'm sure we have a clip, and if we don't, it's coming. Uh, super athletic like Eli Mitchell was. Would need an injury, but it's a good offense. Not being drafted 100% of the time, so I think Chris Evans is a candidate. Zemir White's a name that you brought up, uh, and I think that he definitely fits this bold as somebody that could actually just be underrated as a prospect. Like this dude was supposed to be really good. He missed some time because of injury, uh, but he just won Josh Jacobs' ankle injury away from being the thoroughly down guy. I saw a Raiders beat writer on the athletic mention that he wouldn't be shocked if the Raiders brass already believes that Zamir white is more talented than Josh Jacobs. That was early July saying that what happens if he outplays them? There's a hundred names in the Raiders backfield, including Brandon Bolden, who seems to do just a little bit of everything when Josh McDaniels needs him to. So I don't know if he can have a massive, massive role, but I wouldn't be shocked if they go along with Josh Jacobs, probably not being on this organization moving forward. If Zamir white as the season progresses becomes the guy. My last name here is Snoop Connor. Uh, I've talked about him as like the anti James Robinson, similar uh, mold here, but we're talking about an old miss early declare win the fifth round, which is actually a little bit earlier than Elijah Mitchell. And if something happens to Travis ETN, I think that Snoop Connor could really siphon up a lot of these goal line opportunities for Jacksonville. It's not just based on whatever, if you want to call it news or, opinions about the Kansas City Chiefs backfield but let's talk about Jarek McKinnon a little bit and how like his season finished last year because I think insane that's a little surprising like in the three playoff games Jarek McKinnon had 18 15 and 15 touches Clyde edwards Elaire, who obviously dealt with gall- gallbladder surgery to start the season and then dealt with a whole bunch of injuries throughout the year but he was active in those final two contests and Jarek McKinnon just played over him point blank period you know He's not making a bunch of money. I'm sure this is going to be your next comment, but I can't get it out of my head that Ronald Jones is best in an area where they have no one to play in. And Dare Williams, you know, had 20 carries inside the 10 yard line last year. And I believe CEH has had 16 and 22 games since the second week of his rookie season. So maybe that's where Rojo shines. But if you're talking about between the twenties, the wide open spaces of the field, if CEH isn't getting it done and I want him to, and he has the first round draft capital to do it. Maybe they think that Jared McKinnon is the pivot play. You know, someone who is accustomed to the offense that knows it very well. And the last time really we saw these teams, he was the one playing over Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And you can get him as running back 60 right now. 
Yeah, I'm conflicted on this one because I, I've, I, you just laid out the upside case, and I believe that upside case exists. At the same time, he is a 31 year old with an injury history, and they gave him zero dollars guaranteed, like literally zero. Like if yeah. he does, if he doesn't make the roster, I'm not going to be surprised at all. Uh, Ronald Jones is making like uh, I think seven hundred fifty thousand dollars guaranteed. I'm not sure if he is a lock. I think that Ronald Jones is going to make the roster. Um, Chiefs backfield man, roll the dice. I don't know how to how to break it down, but I, I do agree. Jarek McKinnon in some universe has some some pretty big spiked weeks also want to shout out Dontrell Hilliard's name again I thought at points last year when Derrick Henry went down he was the superior running back insurance to Deontay Foreman who he got paid Dontrell Hilliard really did not they go out and draft Hassan Haskins so I think everyone is perceiving him to be the running back handcuff for Derrick Henry I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being Dontrell Hilliard who's going as running back 75 okay one more category chat's been on fire today uh, last year, Dawson Knox, and really there were four late round tight ends who hit, but Dawson Knox was the name who dominated in terms of tight end touchdowns. And that was the name of the game for him. We're obsessed with Dawson Knox's talent now. So who might be the next player at a position where six points mean so much that is being undervalued because of that right now? Just getting lucky riding the the wave of variance, and Gerald Everett is attached to Justin Herbert, and Jared Cook was fifth in red zone routes per game last year. So, like, I know I don't think Gerald Everett's as good as Dawson Dawson Knox is, but I know Justin Herbert's just as good as as Josh Allen is. And if you just roll with the punches at at touchdown or in the touchdown department, I think Gerald Everett could like mess around and have an eight touchdown. Uh, season out of nowhere and also like going back to mike williams and keenan allen like we like them as talents like we're believers in them they're also not like the most like stable uh like injury they're kind of like a little bit i'm not saying injury prone but they miss some time and it sounds like the chargers are at least on paper in love with gerald everett's evaluation really want him to be a yards after catch threat on the team uh you know me one of the biggest questions i have this offseason is who is going to be the sponge for the green bay packers in the red zone and Slightly differently, even inside the 10-yard line, where, as we know, Devontae Adams has been unstoppable for years, whether it be screens or isolation moves, one, two, three cuts, and boom, it's a touchdown. I mean, he was third in each of those categories in terms of targets inside the 20 and targets inside the 10. I mean, at least on the Packers last season, Randall Cobb had the second most targets inside the 10-yard line. Adam Lazard had a measly five. Maybe he evolves he morphs into something spectacular this season. But why not have the guy that back in 2020 had 11 targets and seven touchdowns inside the red zone? And that's Robert Tunyon. You know, he's almost kind of getting lost in the shuffle because he had that major injury last year, missed a huge amount of time. But we know that Aaron Rodgers tosses it to him, almost certainly coming down with it. That's a crazy catch rate in the close distances of that short yardage field. And uh, Robert Tunney has already done it once. He might do it again here in 2022. If we get some positive news, I can see him sliding up like two or three tight end spots. I actually, I think we're looking at for like the tight end 12, tight end 13 in fantasy right now. I think that Robert Tunney, if he's fully cleared, I think that there'll be some, some push for him to be up there. I have one. Uh, the other breakout was, was Dalton Schultz and Dalton Schultz did it in a very different way than Dawson yes. Knox. Uh, I think Austin Hooper could be kind of Dalton Schultz where you're not expecting that much yards after the catch and all that stuff, but the volume has to go somewhere and Austin Hooper is going to be out there for every single down. He's not going to be the flashiest, but if we are betting against Traylon Burks to some degree, 
this year. And we don't think that Robert Woods is going to be like getting 1200 yards. The ball has got to go somewhere. And I think Austin Hooper could have like a Dalton Schultz where you're not like looking like you absolutely smash, but all of a sudden he's like on that tight end one, two border just because he's averaging seven uh, targets per game. Could also throw in Tyler Higby in there. Who's been one of the least efficient red zone slash inside the 10 yard line producers. Uh, also though, the Rams throw more than anyone throughout the league inside the 10 yard line. And we're not having to pay up again. Robert Tony is going as tight end 17. Tyler Higby is going as tight end 19. Just two names to consider, but I would point you to our quarterback and tight end sleeper show because we went really in depth on a few names. And I think we're going to hit one of those a la David and Joku. Okay. That's going to do it for us. Anything else? I hope all of you left all of your answers down in the description below, down the comment section below, because uh, this was a fun exercise. It stretched my brain a little bit, Hayden. And uh, if we get even one or two of these, these people are going to be printing money in underdog fantasy by January and February. My final prediction this year's Cooper Cup is either Cooper Cup or Justin Jefferson. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm going to close with. Wow. Bold stuff. Bold stuff. All right, everyone. Again, smash subscribe. Hit thumbs up. Even hit that notification bell when we do go live, which is Monday nights, Tuesday, and Thursday at 3 o'clock. And if you have never checked out this channel, if it's the first time finding it, go and look at all the other highlights and clips that we have floating around because, again, certainly, hopefully, you'll learn something. All right. For Hayden Winks, I'm Josh, and everyone, Chris, Tommy, Tony, Franz, Lundar, all of you beautiful people with Be Good to Others, up the villa. We will talk to you all soon. See ya. <laughs>